Hello and welcome to the Real Education Podcast, the latest name for our new podcast that's been rebranded, which we talk to academics and experts in the field looking at digital literacy, edtech and all of the things that you think you might know, but may be defined in a different way. Joining us today is Professor Mike Watts, who's the Professor of Education at Brunel University. Hello, Professor. Can I call you Professor Mike? Can I call you Mike? I think it's better if you just call me Mike, actually. I mean, okay. uh, my... my... <laughs> My family would never refer to me as professor. Uh, it's it's um, yeah, just mine. It's that thing, isn't it? When you get to past doctor, anything after that, you go back to the Mister title, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's odd actually, because if you're in company and uh, you're beginning to be introduced to somebody, and then my wife is prone to say, "Oh, he's a professor," you know, <laughs> and, and I, I sort of normally hide behind curtains at that point because it 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 just ruins the social um, ethos at that particular moment. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, Mike. And joining us, of course, is uh, Head of Checkpoint Learning's Education and Strategy, Chris Winston-Longley. How are you doing, Chris? I'm fine, thank you. It's Director of Learning and Education, really, or Director of Education and Learning, but we can we can, we can can kind of skip over that. Um, so thank you for joining us, Mike. Um, obviously, you know a lot about Checkpoint. We've been very involved with Brunel University for now over, over a year, and, and this relationship has kind of, you know, got got stronger and that there's lots of amazing things that we're doing and we're really proud to to be involved with you guys but i think one of the things that would be great to start with if it's possible to just talk about is is what 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 kind of brunel's kind of relationship with us is and and how we met and what it is that we're doing with you because we kind of explained it as a partnership to evidence the work that we're doing within the educational field but there is obviously a a, a bigger thing here isn't there yeah, and, and what's interesting for us is the idea of any kind of innovative project that's going to be introduced into schools in terms of kids learning. I mean, my own background is in, in science education and STEM education. And to be honest, it, it needs um, a jab, <laughs> a poke um, to, uh, you know, generate some kind of interest and excitement in what's going on in schools. The practices in schools um, can can do with an uplift, in my view. Uh, and as I said, it, there are occasions when I, I feel hypercritical about what's going on in schools. But in general, I'm in awe of what teachers do in really quite difficult circumstances. But I've also seen some really good practice. And I would really like other schools to emulate what takes place in good classrooms. Um, so when Checkpoint comes along and uh, promises, uh, a nice little bit of innovation within what's taking place, then I'm, I'm all for it. it. It's part and parcel of what we, we like doing. Uh, I, the department is, is relatively small in university terms in the sense that we have about, I think it's 32 members of full-time staff. And we are all, you'll understand, we're all very different in how we approach things. But there is a sort of broad view about enjoying, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to use an expression, is, it, um, that I like is called epistemic agency. <laughs> An epistemic agency is simply that you put some of the learning in the hands of the kids. Um, and that's all it means, really. And you can you can have um, collective agency where groups of kids work together and they share what they're doing, push ideas around and so on. And that's great fun. But it, what it does is it, it, it pulls the teacher away from the centre so that um, they're walk, walking alongside in a genuinely pedagogic way 
in, in my view, that allows kids to take responsibility for their learning. So anything that, anything, anything, checkpoint included, that, that manages to um, foster that sort of work in classrooms, I'm all for it. And I mean, Chris, this is, I mean, you know, we, we talk about the way that we approach and, and pedagogy is obviously a key word that's going to be coming up again and again and again throughout this podcast for for however long that we're involved in, in education, because that's what it is. But, but Chris, you kind of that that echoes with your experience and your and your time in the classroom, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Um, I, th- I would I would fear that if Mike came into my lesson, he would be critical of the way I was delivering English. Um, I was certainly critical of the way I was delivering English, um, but as you know, that's because I I have a bee in my bonnet at the moment, and I'd, I'd love Mike to to use his academic mind on this and sort of clarify things for me. That it's okay to have pedagogical ideas and to maybe be at university and, and learn all those things, and while you're getting your B. Ed, but then when you get into the classroom you have a national curriculum and you have an examination system and you have managers and league tables. And every time you're trying to do anything different or give agency to children or whatever, you are immediately told to stop if it's not going to increase GCSE levels, etc. You're not allowed to justify it in terms that it's good for the children or it's good for their learning. So I think in some respects that the, the pedagogy in the classroom is being dictated by the content of the national curriculum, what you're being made to do. Um, And I only say that because, as you say, with my experience, because I was always teaching low ability children, always in a deprived area in secondary, the children struggled to find any relevance of the content in English that I was teaching them. I can't say about the other subject areas because I wasn't I wasn't in them. But certainly for for English, they they really had no interest in Shakespeare. Um, And I I spent all my time trying to make it relevant to them and then to adopt ways of getting them to be have agency within that learning. But it's very difficult, I find, to get kids to have agency when they don't agree with the content that they're being asked to to engage with, if that makes sense. And Mike, from your perspective, did you find this from because STEM is always one of those really difficult things and to try to define and to bring into curriculums and try to do it. Is that something similar? Is there a similar thing of taking agency, the child, the individual child taking agency over their STEM learning that that maybe is something that is problematic within within the current framework that we have? Yeah, without a doubt, um, STEM is often um, only in name, really, in in schools because uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and there's not that much engineering that takes place in schools, let's be honest. Um, so if you if you just do STM, then they're all taught by separate people in separate rooms at separate times, and so on, and and therefore the idea of an integrated problem-solving um, approach to science, technology and, and maths is just doesn't happen in general. Well, I, I take it back. Of course, it does happen on occasions because schools will have a STEM week towards the end of an academic year or they'll have a STEM day or they'll, they'll do something of that order. So, yes, on occasions you'll get that um, holistic approach to, to, to STEM within a classroom. But generally, no, it, it's it, if you're teaching mathematics, you're teaching science, you're teaching technology, then Technology is slightly different. You know, there are there are projects, but they do tend to be recipe projects, and rather than uh, where students have clear control and responsibility for what they're doing, 
again, they can do it at certain points. I'm not denying that. But it, it's 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 bitty and fragmented, I think, rather than being a holistic approach. Um, it, it, I want to go back to what Chris said. Um, yes, of course, the, to, to a large extent, the the curriculum is dictated by the national curriculum and and the, the what happens in classrooms. But there's nothing in the curriculum in the national curriculum that tells you how to teach something. It tells you what to teach and what needs to be covered and how examinations are going to be framed in terms of what the content. But it doesn't tell you how. And if I just can I just give you an example and there's something that cropped up recently was um, a, a biology lesson about genetics. It was about um, haemophilia and haemophilia uh, in to the extent that, of course, it, it's um, it is visited upon young men, whereas it's carried by women. And the what the teacher did was to um, have a kind of comic strip wherein girl meets boy girl decides boys it he's going to do for her um, they lash up together and then she realizes that he has hemophilia and the question then was what what should she do about it should she dump him or go with him and uh, the kids love this of course the idea and what he did was he chose two kids in the classroom a girl and a boy he 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 broke the class up into groups he gave each of the groups uh, the, a, a pack of, of materials around the genetics of hemophilia and so on and then they had to devise a series of questions. And towards the second half of the lesson, he brought the couple, the young, <laughs> the two down to the front. He was the doctor. He, they were in the surgery. The kids were all sitting around. Oh, OK, they were sitting on desks and they were sitting watching what was going on. It was enormous fun because, of course, the, the conversation was around these two getting married and that you know that the, all the teasing that goes on in, in a classroom around that sort of thing and that they were going to have so many children together and what was the what was the outcome of all of this the teacher himself had a, a jacket on he said if i take my jacket off i'm the doctor if i have my jacket on i'm back to being teacher again okay to do as you told but what happened then was they asked him questions and he answered and it's it was a, a, an amazingly productive way of teaching across a series of concepts across one lesson goldfish bowl approach later on that he was going to the next lesson he was going to ask a, a young man who was hemophiliac to come in talk to the kids about his own lifestyle because of course he he couldn't take play part in contact sports or football or soccer or cricket or anything of that nature because of the internal bleeding that would come if he was to bang himself and hurt himself so that was, a, I just thought, a superb way of being able to tackle something. Now, OK, you could argue that there was only limited agency as far as the kids were concerned, but they were required to ask the questions and to generate questions. The two at the front were required to do something active about what they were, you know, how, how they were framing these things. And, and it was enormous fun. I mean, there are, it generally was. There are two can things. Just, sorry, can sorry, I just come in there? Um, I... I Yes, I absolutely agree with you that, that, that it's the, the national curriculum is only the what. The lesson you've just described is the sort of lesson that I used to enjoy watching in the kids' part. I mean, brilliant. My, the whole thing about Checkpoint and my issue was um, that that lesson took quite a lot of planning and preparation. It took confidence in the teacher and the teacher had to know how to do the teacher enrol and, and all the rest of it. So there were all sorts of time demands on that teacher, as well as a training issue that, that the way teachers are now being trained, I, I don't know, are they exposed to all these different 
ways and styles of teaching, etc. When I was saying that the that the content dictates it, I think I also have to put in there that yes, but it's also time restrictions on because I used to find that I was remembering when I did my PGCE, a uh, marvelous man told, called Terry Gifford, who who was my lecturer, main lecturer, and. He used to teach us all sorts of exciting ways of delivering poetry and going out with kids and looking at a tree and feeling the senses and all that. And then someone in the group asked him, well, how often do we do this? And he went, oh, don't you can't do this every lesson. He said, no, no, bog standard English work for two weeks, maybe one class, one lesson a week like this. He said the rest of it bog standard. And when we said, what do you mean? He said, you know, comprehensions, answering questions, reading the book. And even then, and that was 25 years ago, we were being told, no, don't try and make everything and all singing, all dancing. And I think one of the things that Checkpoint's trying to do is, is address that lack of time. That we're trying to make that interesting lesson like, like the science teacher was doing, but take away the need for the teacher to do all the preparation, the planning and everything else to, to give the students agency. To sort of what we're trying to do is impose a pedagogy, I suppose, if I'm being honest about it. I, I, I'm going to go back slightly. When you said earlier that um, the national curriculum generates the kind of teaching approaches, I, I'm not, as I said, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I do think schools do. But right. I think what, what tends to happen, and you're quite right, is that the filing cabinet would have in it, in the, in the prep room in a secondary school, all of the lesson plans required to be able to deliver all of the lessons that are required across a, a module, across a term and so on. So what tends to happen is time struck teachers will reach into the filing cabinet and go for the worksheet and the um, whatever it happens to be. And, and I also agree with you very much, Chris, that, that you, you, you can't be at that level every day, every lesson. Um, and and the, the, it's almost as if you know, you, you, you can't possibly operate at that level of engagement um, for eight hours a day, five days a week. And so on. it just it just can't work. Uh, so you do have to pace how you manage to generate ideas and thoughts um, in, in a classroom. And, and I think in the case of that particular biology teacher, yes, of course, they, they fall back on. All right, bog standard. Um, but yes, on, on standard lessons. For, for a while before he began, it was their turn again for something that was innovative uh, and he could push ideas again. I think I, it's very, I think it's balanced. It's what we're talking about, isn't it? It's a balanced I think there approach are a couple, in the classroom, I think. A couple of things that have come out from this, which I, I think I want to pose to both of you, because they're, 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 they're really interesting things that kind of seem to be theming uh, what we're talking about. And it's this idea of it's this word that, that, and we'll come on to it in a minute. But this idea of culture, whether it's a national curriculum culture, whether it's a school culture, whether it's teacher culture, an individual's culture in the way in which they design and deliver the lessons. So an individual may not necessarily align with the school culture when you're talking about doing your PGSE and having all of these amazing pedagogies. When you go into a school that doesn't recognise it and has a standard way and has a way of doing it, you have to assimilate almost into that you have to kind of work within their framework in order to be able to deliver what they need, not just for them, but for the students, because that's how they measure things. So it becomes very difficult to break that culture, um, you know, wh wherever that culture element lies. And maybe I'm using the wrong, the wrong word here for it. But I also think that there's this 
other idea of, and we'll come back to this, this integrated curriculum, this holistic approach about this idea of siloing separate subject matters and not giving other subjects, not just the, the students the agency, but other subjects the agency and the knowledge base to be able to kind of bring in their piece of the puzzle. You talk about engineering. Well, what is engineering? Engineering is, is physics, is physics, science, chemistry. By which we, they are the disciplines of the sciences that have been brought together to construct or to develop or to research or whatever it is. So surely those foundations for engineering as part of STEM should be considered as a more holistic approach to engineering within by bringing in the different disciplines to deliver on what engineering requirements are what those semiotic domains demand of them i'm 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 roving around in my thinking as you're talking some of this so that um one of the things that i came across recently was um a primary school that were building a chinese dragon because it was coming up for chinese new year and they had a sizable chinese community in their neighborhood and they wanted to take part in in the festivities and they 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 set about i mean it was a it, it was an after-school activity um, in general, but they had to. They, they created the head, and then the the body of the of the dragon, which had a series of plastic D hoops in it, so that the hoop, the circular part of the hoop, held the, the fabric up, and then they could hold the bar as they were dancing underneath it, and so on, with a very extended tail. And it wasn't just the fact that it it, it required. Um, I mean, they made the head out of a cardboard box, but as soon as they did that, it was too regular. They didn't like it. So then they had to build paper mache lumps all over it to give it its its uh, dragon appearance. They weren't satisfied with anything that was just boxy. Um, they It had to be painted, coloured. It had to be, the tail had to be painted. I've got photographs of it if uh, ever you want to have a look and see what the dragon looked like. It was a masterpiece in the end, and it, it became so consuming of the kids that they were thinking about it during all of the other lessons in which they were doing. And, and they were, all they were really doing was, was um, biding time so that they could get into the assembly hall because they had to put it out in the assembly hall because it became big. And, then, and it, it started to grow outside of the classroom, as it were, in both ways. So, and, and, and something like that, yes, there's a degree of engineering, uh, they had to, uh, both in terms of the materials they were using and the uh, and, and, and the scaling of what they were trying to do, uh, they had to source the materials, of course, and borrow, uh, beg, borrow, and, 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 and steep. No, I'm not saying this, though. Right. <laughs> but they, they did actually manage to acquire the materials, uh, and then, um, and it was an enormous success. It made its debut in the in the school assembly, as you can imagine, to Chinese music, and uh, and, and, and absolute uproar as this thing came in. Yes, that's STEM. It, it absolutely is a, 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 a holistic STEM project that actually, they began to look at history and, and, and uh, the culture, as you rightly point out, in terms of um, Chinese dragons. Are there dragons elsewhere? Well, of course there are. You know, St. George slayed a dragon and there's one on the Welsh flag. So, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's dragons everywhere, as it were. 
it did allow for that um, autonomy of different kinds of subjects to come in and make, make an impact on it. And I just don't think, I mean, that was, was it's a very good example. But, but it, is that a uh, good thing, Mike? That's what I'm, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Is it a good, is it a good thing for education to have a holistic approach and what demand, because we've discussed briefly the demands on teachers time and, and you know, their mental health in your, in your professional opinion, within your experience, is there an argument that that's a better way of teaching? Yeah, you, you're making comparisons as soon as you say better, better than what? Um, Fair but comment, the answer is, yeah. Yeah, the, the answer the answer is yes, of course. Um, is it more satisfying? Is it is it, are the children more engaged? Are they learning, you know, the mathematics of, of semicircular hoops? Are they learning the uh, constituents of materials and, and, and the properties of materials and so on? Of course they are. But if you if you talk about just simple enjoyment and engagement, I mean learning should be fun. You know, autotelic learning is is doing it for the sake of the fun of it, and, and there's uh, so much of of games and, and and gaming that is simply for the fun. You are learning, but boy, you know, there's, 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 it's not a drag at all attached to this. If you if you look to those as being part of the criteria of what makes good learning, then yeah, absolutely. Chris, uh, did I they get something say... out of it? Is it productive and and was it fun? You know, bottom yeah. line. Um, I would say that it's that the. I mean, absolutely agree with everything Mike says. That that idea of you know what's good learning, what's bad teaching, or whatever. Um, though we can't really use those terms, I think it's better if we just say what what was the intended outcome of that, and if it satisfied its outcome, then it was good teaching, good learning, or maybe not even teaching because I mean at some point and, and this I think Mike and I are hopefully on the same page here at some point you shouldn't be teaching anymore the kids will be learning for themselves and directing their own learning their own exploration experimenting etc a lot of the time that would be it, it sounds I, I may be wrong here but it sounds Mike like nobody measured that because I can hear Ofsted screaming but we can't measure the science outcome. We can't measure the maths that was used. We can't measure the, because not everything is measurable. And from my reading of Ofsted's reports on subject area, particularly the one on history that I was reading, when they talked about substantive and disciplinary knowledge, they then, there was a criticism within the report of schools that were trying to teach history as part of a project. And Ofsted said, we don't like projects because they, they take away from the, dis, the discipline of history or the discipline of physics or the discipline. And my constant argument all the time is that in the real world, history does involve mathematics and, and physics and chemistry. All those. They, they're involved because life isn't in these silos. And I do remember, I'm sorry if this goes slightly off, but I was involved for, for a long time uh, I was actually trained in it, which is a shame because just after I was trained, they scrapped it. And it was called functional skills. And it was it wasn't science, unfortunately, it was English, maths and IT. And we were given timetable time and the three of us got together, the three departments, and we had to produce lessons for the students. And so we for the first one we did was it was a, a, a sort of fair that they were going to have on the school sports field. And they had to have fairground rides and they had to have toilets and they had to have parking and they had to write letters to the farmer to ask if we could use the track to get to the. And it involved, I did all the English side and IT were doing all the writing on the IT and everything. And then you, we were mapping 
the field. We went out and measured the field and cut it up and then worked out how many people might arrive, where their cars would have to go, where there was areas. And we were using all the maths and everything, all in real life context. The kids absolutely adored it. They used to sort of rush to the lessons going, oh, we're we doing this today and I've had this thought. And you know, like with the Chinese dragon, it went out beyond. I still don't know what the logical reasoning was in functional skills being taken away, but it was removed. And even functional skills just as an English subject now, without the others, without joining the others, just functional skills, English has now been removed. So you can only do English GCSE now uh, in most schools. It doesn't, functional skills doesn't count anymore. And so schools don't do it. And I just think that's a, that's a real, I've had experience of when you don't silo it, it all works much better. I think there's, a, there's an enormous um, inherent conservatism within education systems, and it's not just in the UK, but in general, in the sense that um, each generation, um, every parent wants it to look like what they had, because that's what they recognise and they value for their kids. And in a sense, you, you, you can understand that. I mean, you know, otherwise, I think one of the things about COVID was that it exposed um, parents to what is happening in classrooms and, and th th they didn't always recognize it as being the chemistry I learned as a kid and I thought what are you doing what's this about and that, that conservatism is is there's no political appetite Chris and tell me, for, 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 for change um, either from any of the, of the of the major parties schooling is schooling and schooling has to look what it looks like and consequently the assessment of schooling has to look what, like stuff we understand and know what it looks like so the idea of being able to look at the dragon and assess it or look at the, um, you know, yes, at the, at the fair and, and, and assess what kind of skills have come out of it is really problematic. Uh, and I think that's true of games and gaming as well. There was a wonderful talk not so very long ago about uh, from, from, from really an eminent uh, educator who was saying, could you imagine that somebody who was immersed very much in, in, in a game who's uh, had uh, gone up through several levels had accumulated a range of credits and, and scores and things internally, and who had um, spent hours doing this and, and had reached very sophisticated levels of skill within the game. And then they presented that portfolio to an employer. <laughs> I mean, they would get laughed, laughed out of court, mm -hmm. except for the fact that, of course, we know that those are real skills. Those are yes. real talents. Those are real levels. Those are real um, credits that people have accumulated. And some of that credit could actually be translated into cash if they actually wanted to do so. And they could show, demonstrate, look, I, I've earned £20,000, I made it up. But it, it, there's, there's a sense in which that could be turned into real life credits. And yet that is, lies so far outside of the experience that ordinary people have that they would never count that as being something that's worth. And yet it's an assessed level of, of progress. Can I just say I find that... Again, absolutely. I just keep saying I agree with you all the time, <laughs> but, but I do. Um, but I find I, I can, there's a sadness in that for me. And it's one of the things that we're trying to do in education. I'm, I'm sure you do as well, Mike, that trying to get people to value themselves. And the fact is that now those adults, those parents are gamers themselves. And I think you're right that those skills aren't valued, but that means that the, the, the gaming parents aren't valuing the skills that they develop through gaming because we have a whole negative uh, media and everything towards gaming. It's always the negatives that we're, that we're focusing on in gaming through the mass media and everything. And 
that's one of the things we're trying to do is educate people and go, no, 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 this, you are skilled. You do have skills. They are transferable. So I'm just hoping at some point the CEO of a company has played Fortnite, has played GTA. And actually someone goes in to the interview and instead of going, I have seven GCSEs or nine GCSEs, they go, I played Fortnite and I got to these levels and I achieved this. And they go, oh, you must be determined. You yeah. must have used, oh, did you find the so-and-so? Yeah. My God, you must have been clever or whatever, you know, and just start recognizing what you have to do to achieve in a game. Mike? No, no, I I'm, 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 I'm back with you because, you know, it, it, it's at that point then that they can, or let's, let's say that the employer looked at um, a Duke of Edinburgh Gold and understood Actually, do you know what's what's involved in that? Do you know realize how much responsibility that person's taken? How much um, skill that they've accrued over time, even if it's walking up the Brecon beacons. I don't, you know, whatever it happens to be. Mind you, walking up the Brecon beacons, I would, you know. But the the, the, the fact is that uh, that alone is is an A level, as it were. And yet, it's not going to work, is it? It's not because although you might say yes, I recognize that in myself. I'm not sure I want it for my kids. I'm not sure I'm going to just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hand over all my education, the kids' education to a game. Come on. You know. So that's my question, Mike, because you said something really interesting earlier is, is that as a parent, you want to recognize the education that they're receiving, because I suppose you can measure it as well. So you can understand for your own kind of benefit where you sit on that scale. I kind of just wanted to respond a little bit to your point about the pandemic and it made it clear. I mean, Checkpoint was a result, a direct result of the pandemic. The materials that the, my kids were coming home with in primary school, that there was no infrastructure, there was no nothing at all, there was no... But on top of that, the idea of screen time was being bad, but they had to sit in front of a Zoom call for ages. What I'm trying to get at is, is that education has changed whether people like it or not. And the pandemic made it very clear for parents that that teachers and students could learn in a different way. Now, I'm not saying that that is the answer, and I'm not saying it is the only answer. A good example of this, and I said this to Chris, during my school life, and you love this, Mike, Pluto changed from a dwarf planet to a non-planet to a dwarf planet to an entity to something else. I don't know how many times in the time that I was in, in school. And that's great because the knowledge is constantly changing. We've got to constantly update it. And that's brilliant. But I don't think that the education systems allow us to allow for a change of thoughts. My daughter comes home and shows me how she's doing division. And to your point, I go, well, that's not how I learned. So it must be wrong. I don't understand. I don't understand how you got that number. Do you know what I mean? So I don't have the mindset, even with what everything that I do, I don't have that vision or that mindset to kind of go, well, actually, there's a different way of doing it. Mm. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I, I mean, the, the, the business about Pluto, it, it's, it made me think instantly of, of something else. It's the National Space Centre in Leicester. Yes. Um, about two years ago with my uh, nephew, with my grandson. He's not my nephew, he's my grandson. They were there for when Tim Peake. Yes was was uh, at the International Space Station. And he got to ask Tim Peake a question. Wow. Um, there was a, a group of, a, a large group of kids there, agog at talking to Tim Peake and, and, and in the internet. I just thought, you know, that's got to be worth a million, 
million pounds in terms of their education, their education about space and, and everything else. And, and, and they were asking all sorts of things about low gravity systems and so on, you know, how do you go to the toilet and whatever. But it's... Um, but it sparks it, it, interest it, in conversation, right? That's the point. Oh, it's huge. It's huge about all, all manner of things. He was actually talking about the fact that in low low gravity situations, your, your muscles relax in your spine and you grow several inches. And he said one of the hardest things to do is when you come back down to earth again is to is all your muscles tighten up again and you shrink. And he said it, it hurts. There's a, there's a there's a real physical pain attached to re-entry. <laughs> not not the actual re-entry, but the, the, the short time afterwards as your muscles re-establish your, your, in your spine uh, so that your skeleton holds up again firm rather than yeah. swapping. The point about all of that is that it's 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 off the wall stuff, you know, and the kids literally were, were hanging off what was being said and, and, and how it was managed and so on. Now, for me, that's a huge education as far as kids are concerned. That, that, that was worth every minute. My, my, my grandson still talks about it. And, and that's and that's the point, right, that your grandson still talks about it, still remembers it and still has an interest that he could kind of follow and chris i kind of want to pull you in on this one as well a little bit if you don't mind because what we found interesting i'll let chris explain because it's a school that he has done supply in and he has an involvement with we wrote uh, a set of lessons they wanted six lessons to last six weeks uh, for pshe um kids looking at the the environment they lived in some collaborative learning some teamwork but she wanted them to know something about where they lived and and she wanted it based in the Horncastle railway because she lived on the old line where it ran next to the canal and she said the kids walk along that to get to school so she said if you could do something to do with the Horncastle railway etc we can use it for PSHE so I looked at all the, the program of study and everything and looked at it and saw that entrepreneurship was the best way to go that you know what what does it take to put a railway in why did they put the railway in and and then i started investigating railways so i i went down this this line of, of finding all that out and then I, I ended up with decimalization and things because all the documentation was in pounds shillings and pence and all the stock share prices and everything and in the historical documents so i thought oh we're gonna have to teach them about decimalization um so i wrote something like 180 slides um, and took them to her saying, right, we need to cut this back, that there's too much, etc. And she looked at it and said, oh, we love it all. Um, except she said, maybe don't do so much stuff on the money. We can do that on the side. So that took about 10 slides out. And I said, well, this is still too big. And she said, no, um, everything you've put in there, I think is valuable. Let us decide as we teach it. Um, and she said, if we have to extend the lessons, we will. So that was a wonderful freedom for me to think, oh, right, I'm sort of free reign here then. But one of the provisos she gave, because I said, well, the lesson plan is going to be huge for this. And she said, I don't want one. And I said, what do you mean you don't want a lesson plan? She said, I, I don't have time to read a lesson plan. She said, you're doing this because I don't have any time. She said, I, I can't meet you to talk about this. I haven't got time to, to read anything. She said, I put the slide on the board. The kids follow it. That's what we're doing. So I then had to rewrite all the slides with all the instructions. So, they, so really the kids were going to have all the agency in the room, but it was just 
But then, of course, and you can see this coming a mile off, Mike, we had cognitive overload all over the place, just too much being delivered on a slide and too many directions. And because you need the teacher to be orchestrating it and directing it and listening to the children and seeing where they're going and then following that avenue and all that. And so we finally ended up with a balance of, I think we got to, was it 20 slides a lesson, I think, to me, something like that. Um, some of them only 14. And I said, look, you can pick and choose amongst these. You'll have to look at it before. And she said, I'm not going to look at it before I run it. I don't have time. We tried to have a meeting with her before she delivered it so we could have a chat about how it would work. I got something like 10 minutes out of her because she's she's very busy. She runs all the CPLD in the school. She's a math teacher. She's And she just said, Chris, I, I don't have any lunch times. I've got meetings after school. When do you think I'm going to talk to you? So... We're, we're sort of facing this thing that we're just throwing this lesson into a void and wondering what's going to happen. Within something like an hour of having taught the first lesson, she was on the phone to me and, and just going mad about how wonderful the lesson was and how incredible it was and how the kids got all this agency that had gone directions she'd never thought of and how they were dictating the learning and everything. And I'm sort of going, whoa, 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 how far did you get? She said, oh, they got to slide three. <laughs> and I went, what? I said, that's two of those slides are optional. And she went, I know, but they were really good. And it was all about Roblox and just the language for Roblox and talking about Roblox and putting some words up like software platform. The children were asked to talk about their experience of Roblox, but using the key vocabularies. And the key vocabulary was driving them towards entrepreneurship. Like, um, I can't remember the words now, currency, things like that, talking about the currency in Roblox things. And she said, the minute the slide went on the board and it said, what do you know about Roblox? She said they were off. And she said, and they just took over. And they were, they were arguing with each other, the fine details of Roblox. They were arguing about the way it worked. They were arguing about what the best games were on it. Yeah. She said, I had to keep pulling them back to talk about what we wanted to talk about. And then the next slide, the optional slide, was why is it called Roblox? And I'd given the history of the three three names that had gone through, Dynablox and Roblox, and, and there was another one. Um, and they had to decide why the name had changed. And then if they were to form a company, like the Horncastle Roblox, what would they call their company? Because, of course, in the Victorian day, you didn't need to name, it was just called the Horncastle. There was no branding, particularly. There was livery or whatever, but no branding, particularly. So, and she said, we just got stuck on that lesson because they just ran with it. And she said it, it was delivering every single thing I wanted from PSHE on one slide. But then how and do I, we measure that? That's the question then, because I think this is where the academic come, argument comes back into all of this stuff is, is that this is, and this is what Mike was saying about, you know, the, the ISS and, and, the, and the dragon lesson, and what you were saying about the things, but. That's why we were allowed to do it. I'm going back to Mike's point about, um, the curriculum in schools and, and being controlled by the school. You, Sue is a math teacher, but she would never take gaming into her maths lesson, I don't think, in that grammar school. I don't but, think she'd do it. But I suppose it. the question is now, Chris, now that she's delivered that PSHE lesson, would she then consider it? Would it be delivered? And is that the problem that we face within the education system, is, is that we need to go in and actually effectively, I don't mean we as in checkpoint, I mean 
everybody that's working within the education to try to make it better at what point do we you know at what point is it an overload for the education system to go well we can't do all of this stuff we're just going to stick with what we know best can i just i, I mean i'll make it's a very personal comment this one and i'd like mike to come in on it because I, I, it goes back to what he said earlier on mike said that a lot of departments a lot of schools have got all those lessons written out in in books and i know the science department in the school i was in that teacher did that. He had a huge folder and every year he just turned to that page for that lesson and delivered it. And the kids were always complaining to me because they hated it. And they said, he's so boring. The lessons are so boring. Why can't we have? And they wanted this other teacher who was a new teacher in the school who was doing all these experiments and things with them. And he just sat them there, put it on the board and they were writing it down. So I think it comes down to the individual teacher. And again, that outcomes thing. If Sue is teaching the maths the way she teaches and enough of the kids go through the grammar school to hit the targets for the school on the league tables. It would have to be a personal choice by Sue that maybe some of the children in her class aren't doing as well as perhaps they could if she was to change some of the approach or that they'd gain something else. Now, I think she is that sort of teacher because she wanted this PhD, she knows what I do, she wanted the PSHE lesson because she wanted to do that with the children, but she also knew it had to be in a non-statutory subject. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you all the way, Chris. I mean, I think that that's right. You know, if, if, um, if you're driven by targets, you're driven by Ofsted, you're driven by measures that um, look at the whole school and you as, as, a, as a teacher, you know, you're, you're, you're corralled by a system. Um, there was a, an, an ice piece on the radio very recently, as you know, about the, the scariness of AI. And the comment was made that um, th this, this promise to just, you know, stand the education system upside down and, and ruin everything. And I, and I was actually chortling, thinking, actually, do you know what? It probably needs to be stood upside down. It probably does need to be shaken to the core. And if AI does it, well, you know what? not bad not a bad thing either now th that rather sort of it's a, it's a bit of an arrogant position to take isn't it when you when you're, you're sitting there saying you know everything's bad and it, it it isn't uh schools are enormously valuable in a million different kind of ways not least of all in you know inculcating values and 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 socializing young people into ways in which they we can't allow them to be feral uh, around the system so it has an enormously powerful impact in that but in terms of, and I always use the the, the expression 16.5, at the point when they've finished their GCSEs and there's, they're, you know, six months after that, how much of the stuff do they remember? 16.5, you know, I mean, what is it that they've, they've got at the end of that? How much French do they know? How much history do they remember? How much science can they recall beyond photosynthesis, light plus, you know, that, and it, it, it just strikes me that it, it, we have to do something that if it's going to have, if you're going to spend 11 years of your life from 5 through to 16, 11, 13 if you go to 18, um, in, in a system, there has to be some sense of, of long-lastingness there, some longevity that crops up out of that, rather than when you get to 27 or 13, you've got these little fragments of what might have been Shakespeare, what might have been history, what might have been technology, whatever. And we, 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 it deserves better than that. We need better than that. Um, we can't, we can't get to, we can't get to, as I say, that stage, and, and it's just meaningless. The, the fragment they'll have, Mike, is the Chinese dragon. 
Um, that's well, that's yeah. the fragment that yeah. they will retain, and yeah, they yeah. will retain or, the or joy. They'll it, or they'll remember the haemophilia yeah. thing, because it'll, it'll, it'll yes, be exactly. there. That's what, I re that's what I remember from my schooling, drawing the world map off by heart, going into my geography lesson every day for about six weeks and having to draw the map of the world off by heart and remembering it and having that, going back and having that thing of, right, I've got to remember this for the next day. We did a thing on immigration when I was in an American school where we, we role-played Ellis Island and everybody had to take a role. And so the people, there were people kind of bringing us in, there were the boat people and there were the people that were the immigration officers and there were, you know, and the processing that stayed with me and that had had a huge impact uh, on 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 the way that I think about things like immigration from a very early age um, there was another project that I did at school where we had to build our own country with our own flag and our own currency and create our own resources which was effectively the forerunner for all of the real-time strategy games that I played as video games when I was older anyway um, and these are the things that I remember and you made a very important point it's something that Chris and I always talk about Mike is, is that the 16 and a half what do you recall now that is the best question but and then I would go further and say, okay, okay, you may recall it, but do you understand it? Mm. The point is, is it contextualized? You may know a squared plus b squared equals c squared, but you and you may know it as Pythagoras' theorem, but why does it work that way? How does it work that way? What relevance does it have in the work that you're going to be doing? So knowing a formulaic equation or being able to retrieve knowledge doesn't mean that you know the knowledge. Um, and this is where we come back to the AI argument, which I think we're going to have to have a whole discussion on a whole podcast in its own right, because that's that, that's a whole discussion. But yes, AI should be a tool and it will shape the education system because we are looking at it wrong. We're looking at it as meaningless ways to checkbox tasks that we need to do rather than integrate it into a wider education system that will help us as a race understand each other and the education and further our knowledge together much better so i th i think you're absolutely right and 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 there are i mean i just wanted to throw those things in there because i think from my personal experience learning those things and having those experiences and knowing that we've been in the schools with the checkpoint lessons and seen the same things that i felt when i was a kid playing those kind of role play things or drawing my maps We've seen it from pupil premium children. We've seen it from children that don't engage with the curriculum. And, and it's really exciting. And it's just, it's such a shame that we can't keep pushing it, which is why you guys are on board, which is very exciting. I think also just, to, it's, a, it's a very different conversation, but I think take, take education out of the hands of politicians. Uh, give it to people like Mike. Let people who understand education and what's required in the future, you know, have have committees that come together from all parties, all, but remove it from political ideology. I, I, and I think the national curriculum has, has got an awful lot to do with what Michael Gove thought education should be rather than what education should be. It was his opinion of, of things. And that shouldn't be allowed because, as Mike said, we, we've got to serve children better than that. The, the... That's right, and 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 the, there was a time, of course, Chris, when there was something called the Schools Council, um, which which did have oversight over a lot of the kind of things that we're talking about. But of course, it, it's incredibly difficult for politicians to keep their hands out of it. Um, I mean, all teacher education. You were you were talking about the training of teachers earlier, Chris, and um, the, to some extent, yes, the, the, in a one-year program, which is the ITE program, the uh, the students spend six months at university, six months in schools. 
And the six months in university, yes, of course, we talked to them about different ways of being able to achieve the educational goals that you try to make, you know, and of course, in terms of um, number work or phonics in primary schools or uh, innovative ways of looking at lichen on trees in, in, in secondary schools and so on. Um, the, the, there's all sorts of things that go on, but the conservatism of schools themselves will inevitably cramp much of that because you spend they, they spend they spend slightly more time in schools than they do in universities it's i think it's you know out of 12 months it's six it's seven in schools or five in universities that that sort of thing so it, the greater level of of, of um, teacher education happens in schools and with that comes comes the the, the inevitable consequence of filing cabinet filing cabinets yes well, it's been a wonderful, I, I know that it's been an hour and there are lots of subject matters that we still haven't covered that we will come back to, not least uh, language, which I think is really, really important um, in in this sphere, which I, I want to cover. But I just wanted to thank you, Mike, very much for joining us uh, on this podcast. And Chris, thank you again. Thank you.